0: you're listening to the whole vineyard podcast to find out more about the whole vineyard church go to wholevineyard.co.uk good morning everybody it's so good to see so many of you here today if you've not met me before my name's rachel i'm one of the pastors here at the church and you are all welcome welcome on the balcony as well can we have a roof on the balcony And to those online, welcome too. (laughs) Got a rowdy lot today. So if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, we've been exploring a sermon series on prayer entitled Our Father. And today we're continuing that series with a talk called Be Still. Now hang in there, I'm going to start with a story and you might think, what has this got to do with it? But hold, out, hold in there. Has anyone seen the Netflix film, Don't Look Up? Can I have a show of hands? Right, so there's a few people who know what I'm talking about. Not the greatest film in the world, but useful for this illustration. <laughs> Slightly depressing, it's not a recommend. <laughs> but stay with me, stay with me. So two astronomers go on a media tour to warn humankind of a comet that's hurting towards Earth that threatens to destroy the planet. See? See what I mean? (laughs) Many, including the President of the United States, either don't believe them, are apathetic, or just choose to ignore the situation. As the comet becomes visible from Earth, the astronomers and other believers form a Just Look Up campaign, hence the title of the film in an attempt to save the planet, whilst the opposite side gives the world the following instruction. Don't look up. Just carry on with your lives as if nothing's happening. And as you can imagine, the film doesn't have a happy ending. Essentially, the film is a satire on the indifference to climate change, but for me, it was a disturbingly accurate portrayal of how we as humans can be so consumed preoccupied and distracted with our busy lives, that we lose the ability to see anything other than what is directly in front of us in the moment. We forget to stop, to look up. This isn't primarily a talk on busyness, on how to ease our overloaded schedules, although this is a good and valuable thing to do, obviously. Throughout this month, we've been looking at prayer. And today, I want to take us back to the very starting point. In these talks, and in our studies on the life of Daniel at the end of last year, we've seen that at the most basic level, prayer can be seen as talking to God, whether it's prayers of adoration, confession, petition, intercession, or simply chatting. However, it may surprise you to know that the starting point of prayer isn't, in fact, about words at all. Even the Bible verse we're focusing on today only has eight words. It may be very short, but it contains a vitally important message to us. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to it. Otherwise, it's going to come up on the slide. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. So short, I'm going to say it again. Be still and know that I am God. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And on one level, it is. However, actually being still is so counter to the culture in which we currently live that many of us, myself included, find it a wonderful idea in theory, but incredibly tough in practice. And I want to be completely honest from the start and tell you that I'm not coming to you today as the expert who has this all down. In fact, I can think of many people more qualified than me to give this talk. And during the course of this week, I think I've been challenged on perhaps every single point. It's been far from still at many points. However, it is something that I'm on a journey with. And that I'm learning is absolutely vital to my health, not only spiritually, but also mentally, emotionally, and physically. If I'm going to stay on the course and finish the race, God has marked out for my life. So although the title of the talk and the verse we're looking at is short, the subject is huge and impossible to cover in depth in the time we have today. But it's important to start somewhere, so we're going to have a look at three main points. Why we need to be still, how to be still, and silence and solitude. just going to have a sip of water. So first of all, why do we need to be still? Firstly, we have a deep need for stillness because God created us that way. We know that for six days God worked and on the seventh he rested and that he commanded us as humans to do the same, establishing the Sabbath, which isn't a legalistic requirement as some see it. And it isn't necessarily a Sunday, but it is an invitation to regular rest and delight. Now, stillness isn't quite the same as rest, but all rest requires a degree of stillness, whether in body, being physically still, in mind, being mentally and emotionally still, or in spirit, being fully present to God. God also designed us to need sleep daily. And I don't know about you, but I can't manage to sleep unless I'm first, relatively still, at least people of different faiths or no faiths at all acknowledge this need for stillness, although it might be termed differently. Just look at the popularity of mindfulness, yoga, decluttering, minimalism, as well as the popularity of sports you can do on your own, such as fishing, long-distance running, swimming, cycling, the list goes on. And why is the act of non-stop scrolling on your smartphone or mindlessly watching episode after episode of a TV series so tempting, do you think? Pete Gregg, in his book, How to Pray, which is currently on discount in our bookstore, as Josh mentioned the other week, we seem to be increasingly attracted to activities that put the world's relentless demands on hold forcing us to focus for a few eternal moments on a single, simple thing. We have a deep longing to be still because it's how God created us. Secondly, we need to be still because Jesus modeled it. And as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus, we follow in his steps. I'm not going to spend too much on this, too long on this point, as Josh spoke really well on this the other week as, about how Jesus often withdrew to quiet, lonely places. You can catch that on our podcast or on YouTube. I will say, however, that during those long times spent in communion with the Father, it's really doubtful that Jesus spent all the time in non stop chatter. We are told that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And to see, He must have been looking and listening, both of which involve stopping and being still. I'm also reminded of the story of the calming of the storm. Why was Jesus calmly asleep in the boat while the disciples were terrified by the winds and the waves? It can seem a little bit mean almost, can't it? But I think one of the reasons Jesus was able to be still in the midst of the storm was because he knew who his father was as well as knowing who he was. And had the disciples fully grasped that, they would have been still too. And there are perhaps some of you going through storms in your own life just now. And God is lovingly reminding you, be still and know that I am God. The third reason why we need to be still is that it helps us view who God is and who we are from heaven's perspective. The author Philip Yancey says, Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. One of the main role models for prayer in the Bible and author of many of the Psalms was King David. And although he uses many words, often pouring out his frustration and anguish, as well as his adoration and praise to God, it's clear that David also spent time in stillness, contemplating who God is and who he was. In Psalm 8, 3-4, David says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In many other psalms, David speaks of the fleetingness of our time here on earth, which he describes as a breath, or like grass, or a flower of the field that blooms for a short time. In a podcast I was recently listening to, Tyler Staten, an American teaching pastor, asked, Why is David saying this? Was he depressed? Did he have low self-esteem? His answer was, of course, not at all. This after all is the same David who said that God's thoughts towards him outnumbered the grains of sand on a beach, knew the number of hairs on his head and counted and stored his tears in a bottle. He referred to himself as the apple of God's eye. David's very name means beloved and he knew it. David was a man who remembered to look up often and saw his life against the backdrop of something and someone infinitely bigger. David was simply aware of his smallness in relation to the vastness and greatness of God, which caused him to be in awe and wonder of how much God values and loves each tiny human. When we spend time in stillness, right perspective is restored. And in the light of scientific discoveries this century, this should amaze us so much more. A few little facts here for you to blow your minds today. Our solar system is just one little neighborhood amongst a predicted 100 billion neighborhoods in our universe. At the moment, there are two Voyager spacecrafts that are cruising towards the edge of the solar system at 100,000 miles per hour. They've been doing that for over 30 years and have traveled over nine billion miles with no end in sight. Imagine if David knew all of this. He would be even more mind-blown that despite all of this, each one of us is incredibly important and of infinite value to a God who desires relationship with us, with you. Only when you see who you really are can you see how profoundly you matter. We need to be still in order to see reality from heaven's point of view. So having looked at why we need to be still, let's consider how to actually put it into practice. And I'm not going to give you a definitive set of instructions on this, but rather some key principles. God created each of us uniquely, and we need to find ways to practice stillness that work for us. For those of you who love a bit of alliteration, put your hands up if you love a bit of alliteration to remember things, or some hands shot up straight away, I spotted those. Well, I've done my best. Being still is about stopping, seeing, and surrendering. I love this quote, again, from How to Pray by Pete Gregg. The best way to start praying, therefore, is actually to stop praying, to pause, to be still, to put down your prayer list and surrender your own personal agenda. To stop talking at God long enough to focus on the wonder of who he actually is. Prayer can easily become a frenetic extension of the manic way I live too much of my life. Distracted and driven, I step into the courts of the king without modulation, without introduction, without slowing my pace or lifting my face to meet his gaze. I'm sure many of us can relate to this. I know I do. When life is busy and time is short, our prayer times can easily become just another thing on our long to-do list. And we enter it with an equally long prayer list. Now, I'm not saying that prayer lists are wrong in themselves. But if we come to God with only that, we're missing the entire point of prayer. Our Heavenly Father desires relationship with us, communion with us. Prayer isn't transactional, it is relational We wouldn't approach any of our most important earthly relationships really off a list, unless it's your husband's day off and you've got some jobs for him. And he's in kids today. He's not listening to this just now. Just joking. (laughs) It's no coincidence that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he started by acknowledging the one to whom they were praying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Tyler Staten says, Prayer doesn't begin with us, it begins with God. It doesn't begin with speaking, it begins with seeing. Stopping and seeing God before we rush in with our words brings us to a posture of surrender as we recognize the one to whom we come. Somebody who is already very aware and very much in control of everything on our prayer list. Moments of stillness, are moments of surrender in which we stop competing with God and resign from trying to save the planet. We recenter our priorities on the Lord and acknowledge with a sigh of relief that He is in control and we are not. And much to our surprise, the world keeps turning quite well without our help. Slowly, our scattered thoughts start to become more centered. Being still requires stopping. Seeing and surrendering. However, being still isn't the same as sitting still always. Stillness, in fact, can be active. As mentioned earlier, stopping or pausing to be still may sound simple, but it's rarely easy. Invariably, our minds rebel against any form of stillness, especially if it isn't a regular habit of ours. Our minds can be filled suddenly with every possible demand and distraction. Have you ever noticed that when we po- press the pause button on various gadgets, things normally stop? But when you try and press the pause button on a human being, things normally start. Sometimes we may be too wound up to find in this stillness whilst actually sitting still. And when this happens, physical exercise can help to burn off adrenaline and calm the mind. Who knows that physical exercise is just as much spiritual as anything else God created us to have exercise. It diffuses stress and brings clarity of thought. Some of you will find that you're able to engage more with God whilst outdoors and on the move. For me, I find it's both and. Physical activity can help me de-stress and calm my mind before a time of literally being still before God. A passing thought I had was that there may be a reason, other than finding a solitary place, that Jesus climbed mountains to pray. Maybe he needed to be active too. Whether you prefer to be physically still or active, two aspects of being still that we all need to embrace regularly that go hand in hand with being still are silence and solitude. Again, there have been whole books devoted to each of these, so we're just scratching the surface today. However, they are important to mention. What's your immediate reaction when you hear the words silence and solitude, I wonder? My guess is that some of the room will be thinking, yes, please, bliss, and all of you parents of young kids, if only, Anybody relate? Others of you will have had an immediate negative reaction and, quite frankly, can't think of anything worse. For some, these words might make you even feel anxious or scared. There are two main types of silence, internal and external, and one is much easier to achieve than the other. As I mentioned earlier, Pressing the pause button for humans may bring external silence. However, internal silence, quieting our minds and emotions can be a challenge. Solitude, in particular, often carries a negative connotation, mistakenly seen as being synonymous with loneliness and isolation. However, they are worlds apart, as John Mark Comer points out. Solitude is engagement, isolation is escape. Solitude is safety, isolation is danger. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul. Isolation is what you crave if you neglect the former. Interesting thoughts there, aren't they? I love how Richard Foster puts it as well. Loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fulfillment. Time spent in solitude is of vital importance if our spiritual lives are to thrive. Imagine if you never spent any one-on-one time with your spouse, children or close friends. The relationship would suffer, if not die eventually. And the same is true of our relationship with God we need silence and solitude to have communion with God. Just as it was in silence and solitude that Jesus often communed with the Father, it's also where many of us feel most connection with God. And I'm doing a few quotes from How to Pray Today, but they are so good on this subject. Pete Gregg says, Sometimes having stilled my house, I spend my entire prayer time in silence. Simply enjoying God's presence without saying or doing anything. I used to worry that this wasn't real prayer, that I had somehow wasted my time. But I have come to understand that these can be some of the most beautiful times of communion. I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. As the psalmist says, like a weaned child, I am content. Last weekend, Andy and I enjoyed a long walk on Mapleton Beach. However, we didn't speak to each other for most of the time. No, we hadn't fallen out. You'll be pleased to know. We had both had a hectic week and needed to be quiet. It was a companionable silence, though, which is often the mark of an intimate relationship. We've been married 25 years this year. So, oh, thank you. So (laughs) I wasn't expecting that, but yeah. So so yeah, we were happy to walk in companionable silence. Any other people who've been married a while relate to that. (laughs) We didn't need to fill it with speech in order to feel together. We're also recent empty nesters. Don't feel too sorry for us, we're doing okay. As many of you know, our youngest has just gone off to Canada for the next five months, and although thanks to modern technology, we can contact her every day if we want to, what we obviously miss, and with our older son too, is their presence. Sitting on the sofa watching a film together, sharing a meal, those kinds of things. Special moments often don't involve speech but they always involve presence. How many of you know, really know, that your Heavenly Father wants to spend time with you like that? Enjoying intimate relationship with you where no words are needed. Just simply resting in His presence. Being fully present and alive to Him. And the amazing thing that I've discovered is that it's out of those times that have come massive answers to prayer without me having to say a word. That's a surprise, isn't it? It's not about us. Either God has worked the issue out or he has transformed me to be able to deal with it, or he has enabled me to place the problem I shouldn't be carrying in the first place anyway in his hands. That's because God already knows exactly what we need before we ask. And spending time in his presence is what we need most. So I hope I've already shown that silence and solitude are not an unproductive waste of time. They are, in fact, profoundly missional. One of my favorite authors, who's with the Lord now, Brennan Manning, says this. What if... The time you spend in silence and solitude is when you refocus on Jesus so that you can carry his presence with you into the rest of the day with the heightened awareness that he is with you, he is for you, that he likes you, that he hears your thoughts. You start to pray in real time. You instinctively lift situations to the Lord in the actual moment that you experience them while you were watching that distressing news report or hearing about your friend's latest crisis, you're no longer deferring all of your prayers to some later, holier moment because your whole life is becoming that holier moment. I love that. Manning goes on to say that he feels that it's only through times of silence and solitude that we're able to obey Paul's exhortation to pray without ceasing. Pray continually. I've often wondered, thought about that, and maybe you have too. Silence and solitude are also not just a self care retreat, as I've sometimes heard implied. In fact, what happens in that place of communion, just between you and God, ends up being for everyone. The more time we spend in His presence, the more we become like him. The more we see him in solitude and silence. The more we see him in the people we meet throughout the day. Someone who fully grasped this and modeled this throughout her life was Mother Teresa. And she said this, We may be doing social work in the eyes of the people, but we are really contemplatives in the heart of the world. We are touching the body of Christ 24 hours. We have 24 hours in his presence. She understood that her entire day, her entire life, all of her time was in God's presence. There is much, much more we could talk about on this subject today. But I really hope and pray that this has helped you discover or rediscover this starting point of prayer. And for those who would like to go deeper, as I hope you will, or would like more information about practices that can help you with stillness, I've got loads of books and resources I could recommend, so do come and have a chat with me. Just a reminder, too, that many of these are already on our website, so please make use of them. I'll finish with a quote that sums up the importance of everything that we looked at today let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. Your soul is crying out for a deeper encounter with Christ. And if your faith is to thrive for years to come, if it's to survive the coming seasons of darkness and pain, if you are to know and be known by Jesus in a richer, more fulfilling way, if you are to continue to engage with him when words no longer have meaning, if you are to become the loving person he wants you to be and see the world as he sees it, you must make space in your busy life for regular meditation, contemplation, and communion with God. Be still and know that I am God. Amen.